0: Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Justin Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. When I was in graduate school working on my doctoral degree in social psychology, one of my main areas of study was secrecy. My initial interest was in secret romantic relationships because there was this conflicting body of research out there on the subject. Some of it suggested that keeping a relationship secret was fun and maybe kind of exciting, while other work suggested that it was burdensome and stressful. This led me down the path of studying secrets more broadly, and it was utterly fascinating. We conceal so much of our lives from other people, ranging from our sexual activities and relationships to our finances, mental health struggles, drug use, and so much more. So let's lift the curtain on secrecy. I have a fascinating two-part show on secrecy to share with you. On today's episode, we're going to look at secrecy more broadly. We'll consider how many secrets the average person has at any point in time, the most common things people tend to hide, the positive and negative effects of keeping secrets, and what to do when secrecy becomes really burdensome. In the next episode, we're going to do a deep dive into sexual and relationship secrets, including the most common things people hide about their sex lives, and when we should reveal our sexual secrets. So you're definitely not going to want to miss that. My guest for both episodes is Michael Slepian, an associate professor of leadership and ethics at Columbia University. He has authored more than 50 articles on secrecy, truth, and deception, and his work has been covered pretty much everywhere in the media. His latest book is titled The Secret Life of Secrets, How Our Inner Worlds Shape Well-Being, Relationships, and who we are. This is going to be an amazing conversation, so stick around and we're going to jump in right after the break. Enhance your sexual performance with FirmTech. Check out their tech ring, which is designed to give you harder, longer lasting erections while also tracking your erectile fitness. Wear it at night to monitor nocturnal erections and cardiovascular health, or wear it during lovemaking for a boost in the bedroom. Unlike other erection rings, FirmTechs is easy to put on, adjustable to your comfort, and it can go on whether you're hard or soft. To learn more, check the show notes or visit myfirmtech.com and be sure to use my exclusive discount code, Justin20, to save 20% off your purchase. Again, that's myfirmtech.com. The Modern Sex Therapy Institutes provides continuing education, certifications, and a PhD in sexology to mental health and medical professionals across the globe. MSTi is a one-stop shop for ASEC sex therapy certification requirements, including education, sexual attitude reassessment, and supervision. MSTi offers flexible payment plans and learning options. Attend from anywhere in the world and learn from experts on sex and relationships. For more information on their programs and offerings, visit modernsextherapyinstitutes.com. That's modernsextherapyinstitutes.com. Hi, Michael, and welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure to meet you and have a chance to explore your work. So I'd like to begin our conversation by asking you about an important definitional question, which is how you define a secret. So when we're talking about secrecy, what do you mean? And how is secrecy different from say, just wanting privacy?
1: Yeah, so the definition turns out to be important here. I define secrecy as an intention an intention to withhold information back from one or more people. So this means you could have something that's a secret that you haven't had a chance to hide in conversation. And so where privacy is different from secrecy is privacy are things we would be willing to discuss if we felt comfortable in the moment to do so. Maybe it's because you're close to the person, maybe because there's no other people who can hear what you're talking about. You need to feel comfortable to talk about this thing that is normally private Whereas if the reason someone doesn't know something about you is you specifically intend to hold that back, that's a secret.
0: So secrecy is something we just don't want anybody to know under any circumstances versus privacy is information we could share if we felt confident and safe in sharing that information with specific others. So since we're on the subject of definitions, let's talk about the distinction between secrecy and lying. People have a tendency to lump these concepts together, so I'm curious to get your perspective on this. What's the difference between a secret and a lie?
1: So the relationship between secrecy and lying is interesting because you can keep a lie a secret. There might be some significant untruth that you've told and you really specifically don't want people to find out about that, that that thing is not true. But also, lying is a way to keep a secret. Um, One way to keep a secret when someone asks you a question that you don't want to answer honestly is to just lie. But importantly, you don't need to lie to keep a secret. You could just say, if someone asks you a question, you could answer a subtly different question. You can change the conversation topic. You could say, I don't want to talk about that. You could say, actually, that's about something that's secret. (laughs) But uh, that would actually probably make them more likely to ask a follow-up question But the point being that lying is a way to keep a secret, but you can keep a secret in all kinds of ways that don't require lying.
0: Absolutely. So let's talk about how you got into researching secrecy in the first place. This is a topic that I got interested in myself as a graduate student. And in fact, my doctoral dissertation was on the subject of secrecy specifically. And what drew me to it was that I had been researching people who are in marginalized relationships and one of the things i found was that when people perceive disapproval of their relationship that it was linked to a lot of negative outcomes for the partners but i started to wonder to what extent these negative outcomes were the result of the social disapproval itself versus feeling pressure to keep one's relationship hidden from the rest of the world and whether secrecy on top of social rejection would amplify those negative effects So that kind of led me down the rabbit hole of studying secrets, and I've been interested in them ever since. But I'm curious to hear your story about what is it that got you interested in this area and led you to write a whole book on the subject of secrets?
1: Yeah, so psychologists have long been interested in secrecy. You can see interested in clinical psychology. You can see folks who are interested in relationships or even developmental psychologists. For some reason, social psychologists hadn't really touched it in a systematic way when I started this program of research. And I think the reason for that, the reason there was no clear psychology of secrecy is misconception of what secrecy is. And a lot of folks, when they think secrecy, they imagine two people interacting together, one person hiding something in a conversation. And that's how a lot of research was conducted, was you know, create a new secret in the lab and have one person hide it from the other person. But the problem with that approach is it really is presupposing a very, very specific experience of secrecy where you're in conversation with someone and they're asking you questions directly related to it. It turns out that that's not a very common form secrecy takes because our secrets exist before those conversations and our secrets exist afterwards too. And most research wasn't looking at the broader picture. It turns out hiding a secret is a very small slice of the experience of secrecy. That's something I know now. (laughs) That's not something I knew when I first started this program of research. And I entered it in a sideways way, which would eventually lead to what we're talking about now, which is I was really interested in metaphor at the time when I first started this research. And I wasn't interested in secrecy in itself. But as an interesting example of metaphor, people will talk about secrets as being heavy or weighty and they can weigh you down. And my original research in the space was asking if people talk about secrets in this way, do they think about secrets in this way? And sure enough, they do. When they're simply just thinking about a secret, especially one that they're preoccupied with, they judge the world around them as more challenging to interact with. Tasks seem to require more effort. Walks seem to, you know, a distance looks farther away. A hill is judged as deeper. And so it suggested that just something about this metaphor was reflecting something deeper, where when people were thinking about secrets, It was as if they were burdened in that moment. It was as if it was compromising their resources to interact with the world around you. And when I first started presenting that research to people, some people thought it was very interesting. Other people thought it wasn't secrecy. They said, you can't study secrecy this way. You need to have two people in a room together to to study secrecy. And it was at that point that I realized, oh, we almost know nothing about this topic because we don't even know. What secrecy normally looks like it turns out what it normally looks like is you're thinking about your secret on your own time that's the predominant experience we have with our secrets and so it was through this sort of unusual angle to begin that helped us realize there's so much more to secrecy than we realized at first
0: thanks for sharing that and i really appreciate your approach and perspective here you know as somebody who has read a lot of the research on secrecy and psychology There are some pretty big limitations of it, you know, and we're going to talk about relationship secrecy a little bit later. But one of the early studies on relationship secrecy involved male and female pairs who were created in a lab and asked to either play secret footsie under the table or they could play footsie and didn't have to keep it secret. And, you know, they were sort of looking at that as an experimental manipulation of secrecy by creating that secrecy in the lab context. But as you mentioned, that's not really what we're talking about when we're discussing secrecy in everyday life, right? I understand why psychologists will try to tightly control and experimentally manipulate things in a lab setting, but if they don't have that, what we call external validity where it doesn't really reflect what's happening in the outside world, what is it really telling us? So we really need that deeper understanding of how do we interact with our secrets and how do they affect us in everyday life, including when we're on our own and we're not actively hiding that information from someone else. So that's why I think your work is so great. Now, in your book, you mentioned that the average person is keeping about 13 secrets at any given time. So how did you determine this, and what are the most common things that people are keeping secret?
1: So when I first started this program of research, when we first started thinking, oh, wait a minute, we don't know the most basic questions. What, how many secrets do people keep? How often do they keep secrets? What are the secrets people commonly keep? To what you were just saying, when we experimentally create a new secret in the lab, that comes with some advantages, but we're not actually studying real-world secrets. And so if we're going to study real-world secrets, we need to know what those secrets are and and how many people keep them and so i asked a couple thousand people what's the secret you're currently keeping from those thousands of responses, we looked at whether there were certain themes that emerged consistently, and there were many. In fact, with 38 different categories of secrets, we could really comprehensively cover what people said they were commonly keeping secret. So much that when I just asked people open-ended, what's a secret you're currently keeping? 92% of the time, it fits one of the items on the list. We see it about 97% of people say they have one of the secrets from the list right now, and the average person has 13 secrets from this list of 38 at any given moment and so some of the most common secrets people have include what we were talking about before lying you know having told a significant lie and and keeping that a secret another common one is romantic desire things involving money and finances sexual behavior is another big one extra relational thoughts having a romantic thought about someone who is not your partner just thinking Uh, family secrets are common secret ambitions
0: So there's a lot that's on this list, and I would imagine things like substance use, too, would probably be up there as well. People might be hiding how much they're drinking or their drug use or all of these other kinds of things, and they might be hiding that from a partner, from their friends, from their employer, right? So when you start thinking about this broadly, there's all kinds of things that people might be hiding at any given point in time. Now, obviously, some people keep more secrets than others. You know, you say 13 is the average, but I'm sure there was a pretty wide range. You know, some people are keeping fewer, some people are keeping more. And it's also the case that some people are probably better at protecting their secrets than others are as well. So, for example, I personally know some people that probably couldn't keep a secret if their life depended on it. And I've learned not to share a certain information with them because I know it's not going to stay secret. So what can you tell us about people's personality and secret keeping? What types of people are more likely to keep secrets in general? And maybe who's better at keeping secret information secret?
1: I'll start with the the least surprising conclusion first. People who are extroverted have fewer secrets. People who are introverted have more secrets. There's something intuitive about that. that just people who are really enthusiastically social in their lives just more things are coming out of their mouths, and, and secrets are included as well. But some other things are emotional stability, and that's kind of the modern word for the opposite of neuroticism. So, people who are low in emotional stability we see have more secrets. And then the other personality trait that's related to the number of secrets people keep is conscientiousness. People who are more conscientious, more careful, and diligent, it turns out that they have more secrets. They're, they're more careful in what they reveal to other people as well. So if you are thinking about confiding a secret in someone, which is usually a good bet, you want to choose someone who's more likely to keep your secrets safe. So you probably would want to avoid the person who's really outgoing and social and talkative, but instead you might want someone who's caring and compassionate and kind, but non-judgmental.
0: I think that makes total sense, especially in terms of thinking about the friends I know who I don't necessarily want to share information with. You know, many of them are of that very extroverted type. And I think it makes sense that they're not as good at keeping secrets because. They want to build those connections with other people. And by sharing that information, that's one way of sort of facilitating that need for connection. And then also just if you happen to be socializing a lot more, there's a lot more opportunities for the secrets to come out. So it's probably a couple of different things going on there.
1: You know, one kind of social enthusiasm that is helpful when it comes to your secrets is finding someone to confide in who is really assertive. This is sort of the other side of the sociality coin. Someone who sort of is more decisive and would push you to do the thing that you need to do. So someone who's compassionate could be useful. Someone who's assertive also can be very helpful when it comes to confiding a secret.
0: So some people are better secret keepers than others, but whether we can maintain a secret also depends on the nature of the secret itself. And one of the things that you say in your work is that the real problem with having secrets is not that we have to hide them, but rather that we have to live with them. So what kinds of secrets are harder to live with and maintain? And just in general, why is secrecy often so difficult and challenging to do? It comes back to the definition here. And so when we
1: intend to keep something secret... That means we're going to be on the lookout for cues in our environment related to that secret. That is, if anyone asks you anything even remotely close to the secret, you want to notice it right away so you can play it cool and and not reveal the secret. And that's what it normally looks like. Someone mentions something related to the secret, you think of it, you don't mention it, the conversation moves on. So people are relatively prepared for these moments of concealment. It's the whole point of having a secret. But that increased sensitivity to anything related to your secret Will mean that you're also reminded of the secret even when there's no other person in the room. And this turns out to be the most common experience people have with their secrets. They're just simply reminded of them. And then once the secret enters your mind, you might get stuck on that thought. You might be thinking about your regrets or how bad you feel or what should you do with this. And the secrets that hurt us the most, it turns out, are not the secrets we frequently conceal in conversation. But it's the secrets that our minds keep returning to time and time again. And so if your mind is continuously returning to the secret, to me, that signals that there's some action that's required of you. There's some way you want to be able to move on or work on the secret, especially if you're stuck in these sort of thought loops. It signals you need to somehow change your perspective and find a way forward.
0: So it sounds like secrecy can kind of put us in this state of hypervigilance, where we're very concerned about maintaining the integrity of that secret, but we're kind of always on the lookout for these things. And whenever we're in that state of hypervigilance, it can be mentally taxing and exhausting. So that can be part of why secrecy is so stressful and burdensome. But I also think it's really interesting what you say about how it's not necessarily the things we tend to keep secret the most often in conversation it's the things that we seem to have this complicated relationship with personally right and so it's it's more about kind of the nature of the secret and how we're personally connected to it rather than just sort of the number of experiences we have in a given day dealing with a particular secret topic So sometimes the secrets we keep are ours and ours alone, but we also get roped into keeping other people's secrets, right? Such as when a friend tells you that they're contemplating divorce or that they've had an affair And I've had a lot of people confess their secrets to me over the years. For some reason, people find me easy to talk to and they just kind of open up, especially after they've had a drink or two. And I found out a lot that I did not ask for. But, you know, so I get roped into keeping other people's secrets. And that is sometimes challenging because, for example, if it's about infidelity or somebody's thinking about ending their relationship, then you have to keep that information secret from that person's partner. So, let me ask you about this. Is it harder to keep a secret for someone else than it is to keep your own secret? What What is your work revealed about this?
1: It's definitely going to depend on, on the nature of the secret. When people confide in us, you if you get confided and you'll say that, you know, this feels good, it feels good to be trusted with a secret. It feels good that someone felt comfortable enough to make themselves vulnerable to you and reveal this sensitive thing. At the same time, if it's something that now you have to conceal on their behalf, Other people's secrets can be a burden. And we see that it's especially more likely to the extent that you and the person who's revealed the secret to you have the same friends, especially if the secret is about someone in your friend group too. That's gonna be a really difficult situation because now you might have to hide the secret from them, which is not something people typically sign up for, but also you might have to just think about this thing. If someone just lays this huge bombshell on you, you're going to be constantly thinking about it too, especially if you know the people who are involved. And so I think in some ways, the secrets we keep can be more burdensome because we might be thinking about them more and we might be more hypervigilant about them. But I think there's a special case of other people's secrets that are even more burdensome than a current secret. And then that's when it's like, Your best friend says, you know, they're going to break up with your other best friend. And and you just, it's such a difficult situation to be with. And I think those kinds of secrets could even be more burdensome than than our own. And then, you know, you're not as practiced at keeping other people's secrets. And so that might also make it more difficult.
0: Totally. And, you know, this has got me thinking about how When I started conducting research on secrecy and other people would ask me what I was working on and I would talk about it, I was specifically studying secret relationships. And then everybody just seemed to want to disclose (laughs) their own experiences with secret relationships to me. Like I distinctly remember back in graduate school was talking to a staff member they just asked me about my dissertation and I said it's on secret relationships and then she pulls me aside and tells me about this secret affair she's having with the maintenance man (laughs) you know I I think when people find out that you're a secrecy researcher sometimes they just kind of see you as a safe source to share this information so I'm curious if you've had any similar experiences with this do people just go on auto dump with their secrets with you
1: Yes, uh, I can completely confirm what you're telling me uh, when people hear about this research. They're like, oh, what's a secret that I have that I could be willing to share with you? And you know, most people have those, even those that they've told no one else before.
0: So you and I, we're keeping more secrets than the average person because yes. people are roping us into their secrets. Now, in my own research on secrecy, I see that it's something that can have both good and bad effects, right? We seem to have a somewhat complicated, complex relationship with secrecy. So, can you talk a little bit about that? You know, what are some of the common negative side effects of secrecy? And on the flip side, what are some positive effects that might happen?
1: Yeah. And this this is really important because um, back to what we were mentioning before, when a when a psychologist creates a brand new secret in the lab, or even when they're studying a secret in the lab, the problem with that approach is if you're only studying one kind of secret, you're very limited in the conclusions you can draw from it because it could be related to the secret keeping, or it could be related to the specific content of the secret. And most psychologists, have only studied one secret at a time. And you can't answer the question, are secrets bad for you or good for you, when you're only looking at one secret? The, qu- the question we really want to ask is, which of your secrets hurt you and why? And you just cannot answer that question un- until you start studying multiple secrets per participant. And so in my studies, I look at a person's whole set of secrets, including big secrets, including small secrets, including secrets you haven't thought about in a full year, and including positive secrets. And so the secrets we keep, on the one hand, they all do bring whatever we believe we're protecting. Most people are keeping a secret to protect something, whether there's their reputation, another person's feelings, or maybe a relationship with someone. And so, for the most part, you know, all our secrets are a success story in that respect. Those things you don't want people to know about you, they tend not to know about you. But even when you have that, benefits still some of those secrets can hurt you. And most of those secrets will hurt you. And so, you know, secrets that really cause you shame are are especially going to be harmful to your well-being. Secrets that you feel really isolated with also um, harmful to your well-being. And then secrets you feel really unsure about, really uncertain whether you're doing the right thing or how to handle it, those also are very bad for you. But when does the secret feel good? If the content of the secret is positive, in a much better place if it's something you feel good about you know that's like you're planning a surprise party for someone or you have this gift for someone or a marriage proposal and so on those secrets turn out to be exciting and even energizing And it's not just because you feel good about them, it's because you feel really in control over them. You feel like you have all the power here and you're very carefully planning in most cases in the positive secret realm, you're you're very carefully planning when the secret gets revealed. And so we have control over all our secrets, but it tends not to feel that way with the exception of these more positive secrets. And so I think one lesson to draw there is How can we feel more in control over our other secrets because we know that's helpful when it comes to coping and, and feeling better
0: thanks for sharing all of that and as you were talking i was thinking too about the anticipation factor and how that's related to the secrets that we're keeping and if you're holding this i guess we would call it a negative secret where it's something that if the information got out it would be damaging to you your reputation your family If you're holding that and you're anticipating that negative outcome and that just keeps building because let's say the secret keeps growing bigger and bigger over time, right, then that could be part of what makes it so stressful. But if it's a positive secret, you know, you're planning that surprise engagement or something else, you've got that anticipation building of this is what the reaction is going to be and you're excited about it. So I'm just wondering how sort of that long-term outlook that we attach to the secret is part of what's driving some of the psychological effects. Definitely. When we
1: anticipate something positive about revealing a secret, and that's typically these like more positive, happy secrets. That's part of why we feel good about them. We get to sort of revisit what it'll be like to reveal it or think about this thing we feel good about. When it comes to negative secrets, we also have this imagination of, of what would happen if we revealed them and the research is pretty clear, it's it's not as bad as we think it's going to be. It's it's very rare that confiding a secret. Just like blows up your whole life. We see that people most commonly across the board respond positively when it comes to even these more negative secrets because, you know, in part it's because people are probably choosing the right people to talk to. And it turns out that, you know, your best friend won't. All of a sudden, hate you if they learn about something negative that you've been keeping from your friends. You know, other people's impressions of you don't just get turned upside down from just one piece of information. And so, we have this like worst case scenario in mind. And the good news is, is that's exceedingly rare. People respond more positively than we expect them to. And it turns out that we only need the their response to be just the tiniest bit positive to feel much better. Even if someone gives you a lukewarm response, we still tend to feel better.
0: And as a social psychologist, that makes total sense to me. I'm thinking of it through the framework of affective forecasting errors, right? So when we try to imagine what our future emotional state is going to be when we have a certain experience, we tend to overestimate how bad. A negative event is going to feel and also how good a positive event is going to feel so that is good news is that we have that worst case scenario in mind but odds are it's not going to be as bad as we think it's going to be and that's not to say that every time we reveal a secret that we're going to have a positive outcome certainly there's wide individual variability but on average it's usually not as bad as we think it's going to be. Now, as someone who has studied the psychology of secrets extensively, I'm curious to hear your advice on what to do when someone's carrying a secret and they're really struggling with it. So, for example, can journaling about it or sharing it anonymously through a platform like PostSecret, can that help in terms of relieving some of that burden? Or should you consider confiding in a trusted friend, maybe even a therapist? What are some of the different ways to deal with that burden of secrets? journaling
1: and sharing your secret on PostSecret, for example, which I'm a big fan of that project, which is still ongoing. Those are really excellent starts. And so if you just cannot imagine a world where you're ready to talk to any single person at all about the secret, that's a good starting point. And it can feel very freeing to, for example, submit your secret anonymously over the, you know the internet. And if that's the last point, of this chain of, of what you're doing, it's there's still more things to do. And so when you reveal a secret, it's not about just putting it out in the ether. Um, it's not just like saying it out loud that feels good, even though that can feel good. What's really important to obtain the benefits of revealing a secret is someone is responding to you. And so you know maybe on post-secret, you're seeing people react to your secret and that might be helpful. Journaling is an interesting situation where you're like, okay, I, I want to work on this secret. I don't want anyone else involved. And journaling can be very helpful, but it requires a little more work than just writing about the secret. If what you do when you're journaling about a secret is just rehashing the past and how bad you feel, that journal essentially just becomes a written record of harmful rumination, which is not what you want to do. To really benefit from journaling, what you want to do is challenge your counterproductive ways of thinking or find a new perspective. That's really hard to do on our own. It's really easy to do in conversation with another person because another person has different experiences as you and they can just give you things that your journal cannot. Emotional support, validation, a new perspective. These things are much more easily found in in conversation with others. And so it's a really good starting point. It certainly doesn't have to be the person you're keeping the secret from, but if you can find another party, a third party that you trust, someone that you think will sort of understand what you're talking about, it's going, they're going to be helpful. You don't want to choose someone who's going to be totally scandalized by what you're telling them. We see in the research that when people, when they learn something that they find really morally objectionable, they're more likely to pass that secret on to a third party. So you're looking for someone who seems like they'll be generally compassionate, maybe assertive to push you to do something, somewhat understanding. And you only need a little bit of of these things to find that that person is really helpful. And so when you're thinking about what you need when it comes to a secret, recognize it's not just revealing it, it's you're trying to find a healthier way of thinking about it. And another person often is very helpful in that, whoever it is.
0: Yeah, so it's about finding some form of catharsis, some way to release some of the burden that comes along with the secrecy, and you have to do what's right for you and your circumstances. But we know that with some secrets, it's really important to maintain that and it can really never be disclosed under any circumstances because there might be a lot of risk attached to it so one more question about secret keeping for people who have these secrets that they really just cannot share with anyone else but you're in conversation with other people who are directing questions that are sort of hinting around that secret topic how can you better deflect those types of questions and preserve the integrity of that secret if someone asks you a question that you don't want to answer,
1: one really effective way of handling that situation, politicians are very good at this, is answering a subtly different question, one that you would be willing to answer. In most cases, that turns out to go completely unnoticed. Another thing you can do is simply ask a question of your own. And because most people are cooperative conversationalists, they'll they'll answer your question, even though theirs there's, didn't get answered. Or you could just Enter a new topic of conversation, you could say like, hey, where are we going to get our lunch later today? Or like, oh, I have this thing at work that I want to tell you about and and get your advice on. It's really, really easy to push the conversation into a new topic. And if you've ever been in a conversation with multiple people and you had this anecdote you wanted to share, but the conversation moved on and you missed your chance, then you know how easily we can move from topic to topic. And you can essentially use that to your advantage. Another situation is what if someone presses you on this? What if someone's like, no, no, seriously answering my question. A good thing to say in that situation, it's, it's very, it's rare, is to say like, I really appreciate that you're thinking of me. Something along the lines of like, thank thank you for asking that. I, I think that is a really important question. I just don't want to get into it right now. I'd like to talk about it at a later point in time. And most people will just immediately accept that. It, it would be a pretty rare someone says, no, you have to answer right now. And so, you know, you don't want people to feel like you're not comfortable opening up to them. That certainly doesn't help that situation. You want to say, like, yeah, you know, I'm happy to to talk about these things, but let's let's table that for some other time. Most of the time you don't even need to do that. You can just shift the conversation to topic and then it just keeps on chugging along.
0: And the art of deflection is important, especially if you have any type of public-facing job. You know, for example, me as a sex researcher and educator, I go on a lot of podcasts, and a lot of people will ask me questions about my own personal life that I don't necessarily want to get into, because I like to talk about the science and data and research more than talk about myself. So I've learned how to deflect pretty well at this point, and I'm always answering a question, even if it's not the question that I was directly asked.
1: In most cases, even when the person recognizes you're deflecting, my experience is they just accept that. They're like, I get it. (laughs) We can move on. That's fine. And so even if you're like, even if it's not an artful deflection, most people go, okay, I get it. We'll we'll carry on.
0: So thank you so much for this amazing conversation, Michael. It was a pleasure to have you here. Can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work and get a copy of your latest book?
1: Yes, you could go to michaelslepian.com. That's just my name, where you can learn about some of the research and learn about the different categories of secrets, of course, about the book too. If you go to keepingsecrets.org, you can take the survey yourself of those 38 different categories of secrets, and then it'll show you how your secrets compare to other people of the same age and gender. And of course, you can look up the book, The Secret Life of Secrets.
0: I am going to go take the secrets quiz right now. So thank you so much for your time, Michael. I really appreciate having you here. Also, thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, sex and sexandpsychology at sexandpsychology.com or subscribe on your favorite platform where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on social media for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin J. Miller and Instagram at Justin J. Lee Miller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.